they'll be called to the set in just a moment. Safe. Away, Freeman out well, a mighty roar. Samantha Stozer in straight sets is the champion of the United States Open. Here's Aloisi for a place in the you World Cup. For us. He yeah! scores! It is. It's episode five of the bet. Number five. Really up to five already, bet. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited. I get very excited by that theme song, Dave. Oh, which, which part is your favourite? Which part um, do you remember the most? Leo Barry, oh, you star. Yeah. Stephen Quartermain at his best. Well, we're going to try and talk about as much sport as we can in the time that we've got, and I cannot do it without the delightful, ravishing, enthusiastic, up-and-about co-host, Rebecca Dow. Wow. And Dave. <laughs> and plain Dave. Plain Dave. I tell you right now, we have a chock-a-block show tonight. I know. Who have we got? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, we've got Adam Peacock on, who is uh, a part of the Fox Sports team. He's going to be popping in and talking about the A-League season, which is up and running. That um, is soccer. That is soccer or football. I'm allowed to call it soccer. We've learnt this. I think Adam will be well on board on the football side. Um, we've got Emma Mackey, who is the Hawthorne VFL captain, or premiership captain as of this year, beating my poor cats in the grand final. I know. That's oh, exciting. So excited to talk to her. Learn how I can become an a-, a VFLW footballer. Yes, they've got the trial day this Saturday. We've got Paul Zappa, who is the co-founder of Club Respect, and Piero Zizzi is the founder of the West Bromwich Albion Proud Baggies. An international guest. Yes, international guest. Is that first? It's our first in five episodes. We're going across to the motherland. Exactly. If you do want to get in touch, you can simply just SMS us in 0427 Joy 949. Or you could like put a note in a bowl and kick it through the window. Do what you want and the bench is ready and here for you tonight. Exactly. But you know what's first, Dave? Tell me, Beck, what's first? The sports wrap. start the sports wrap, Dave, in the NBL and on Monday night, Melbourne started without captain Chris Golding a late withdrawal for injury up against the Sydney Kings with everyone's mm, perhaps favourite former NBA player, Andrew what's his name, Dave? Andrew Bogut, I've learnt now. And the uh, United took it out 77-70, to but Dave what was the most exciting part of that game? Well, apart from Melbourne United winning and us being there. Well, we were there. So, Dave, myself, Dave's boyfriend and one of my great friends, we went along to the game. It was my first NBL game in, I reckon, 20 years. Yeah, mine near enough. I went to the Liberty Giants, who obviously uh, formed from the North Melbourne Giants. That's the last time I went, I reckon. So, we were were not a crew that was in touch with the NBL. I bloody loved it. Me too. If you haven't been to an NBL game this year, do yourself a favour because there's a lot of talk about basketball's back in Australia and at the moment a lot of people just read the headlines and just think, oh yeah, it's just talk. No, it's it's real. It's realistic. It is Basketball is back in Australia. I was into it. As soon as I walked in the door, I had to go to the merchandise stand and buy a hat, didn't I? You did, you did. Because I wanted to get amongst it. The other highlight for me was a music. There's just music, flat out, for the whole game. 
Yeah, yeah, and all the chants. Defense. 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 And there's a lot of like heavy voiceovers like, this is our house. Yes, yes. I love this is what the AFL missed that that because AFL games are too neutral. I feel it's yeah. too neutral. There's too many neutral fans there and it's not really home territory. It's not dangerous to go and play there as the away this team. This is so not neutral that the Sydney Kings were still warming up and they turned all the I lights know, off. I know, I love that. And just went, this is our house. <laughs> I loved it. Now, it's always good. Boga did turn down Melbourne United uh, in the pre-season and joined the Sydney Kings. Yeah. So it's good to see the Melbourne United on the winning side. Uh, birthday boy DJ Kennedy was the star of the show with 24 points to uh, secure the win for Melbourne United, who moved to 5-2 in the win-loss ratio and Sydney Kings are evens at 3-3. Watch this space. Now, one thing that you have been watching space and you've watched it probably closer than anyone. Ah. Anyone in Australian sports journalism, you've probably watched it closer. It's now time for our Bolt Report. The Bolt Report. So... Much to my dismay, Dave, and upset, to be honest with you, uh, Olympic gold medal sprinter Usain Bolt has left the Central Coast Mariners. We're not shocked by this, but uh, <laughs> after his trial, he has left. His indefinite training period has ended. We know that uh, the costs were the costs were beyond what the Mariners could play. My favourite thing was 24 hours after leaving, he said he knows professional football is, quote, a little bit harder than he originally expected. What a joke. What a fiasco no the whole thing was. No worries, Captain Obvious. But don't worry, Dave. I still tracked him because on the, I got on the Instagram and saw he was at Derby Day on Saturday. He was in the races. Oh, there you go. Well, what did the A-League think? What did the Central Coast... What, what was their plan going into the whole thing? Did they think that he was going to be a great player and he was going to be a, an addition to the club? Or did they know that he was going to be a marketing ploy if they did sign him? But they, they didn't do neither. So. My opinion was he was a marketing ploy. Because surely, like, soccer requires skill, yeah? You've got to be able to kick and stuff. He can just run. I don't know. But our first guest from Fox Sports, Adam Peacock, might uh, give us a bit more of an insight in what's yeah. happened in the Bolt fiasco. Um, Melbourne Cup, uh, Beck, did you, <laughs> you've, did you back any winners? Not a one, David. Not a one. But it was nearly a swimming carnival, the Melbourne Cup. The horses were nearly swimming. That rain that was coming down... What a mixed day of weather. We had heavy rain. We had nearly, like, torrential... We did have torrential rain. And then by the time the Melbourne Cup came along, sunny weather. I know. Well, what I was concerned about was last week we had Caroline Ralph Smith from the VRC talking to us about fashions on the field. And I thought, geez, fashions on the field is going to be a complete washout. That's right. It's going to be a bathers and swimming yeah, cap Yeah, maybe like Cathy of... Freeman's uh, Olympics tracksuit might have oh, had to go yeah. in the uh, Melbourne Cup to, uh, to stay dry. a couple of flowers on a swimming cap. That's You're good to go. <laughs> Exactly. Anyway, it was cross-counter winning uh, in what a remarkable uh, last 200 metres from yes. cross-counter. Came from nowhere. Came from second last, I believe. And, and it's the win- first ever English horse to win the race. And he comes from the Godolphin Stables, which is owned by Sheikh Mohammed, who is the Prime Minister and Vice President of the United Arab Emirates and the ruler of Dubai. He's got a lot on the old One Sheikh. issue, how many times did the Sheikh get uh, thanked in the in the 10 minutes post-race? Well, I think the Sheikh has put a great oh. deal of coin into that horse, yeah. David. Um, fiasco with the cricket. Um, every, is there anybody left on the board? That's my question. Um, well, we've had... Tubby Taylor, who was the, wasn't he the saviour only like yeah, four apparently. days ago? We tried to get them on, but no one answered the phone when we called <laughs> Cricket Australia. <laughs> the call cannot be connected. connected. Um, but speaking of great things and great people, and what a time to win her first WTA title on the, you know, the pretty much the eve of the Aussie tennis season. We're not far away from uh, uh, of the Australian Open in January. So, and uh, Ash Barty winning her first ever, uh, third ever WTA title, and probably her best so far, winning 6 3, 6 4. Um, on Sunday, 
What an amazing win. And she's now propelled into the top 20 ranked women in the world. Might I add, after she had a little break to try and play uh, cricket in the WVVL. Yeah, she had a bit of a crack at the uh, the Brisbane Heat, uh, my team. So, Unlike us, Dave, she is multi-talented. Multi-talented. Mm. Well, there you go. That was, um, well, one of the most interesting and diverse sports traps that we've ever had. And you know what? I'm very satisfied and happy to say that I think that's our last edition of the Bolt Report. You can't keep reporting on Usain Bolt. He's not going to try another sport, is he? No, but I might be on his Instagram. I might be able to tell like went out for brunch or walked a dog or, you know, whatever people do on the ground. I've gram. got a feeling we're going to lose our audience very quickly if that's the updates that we're going to be giving. Uh, on tonight's show, Adam Peacock, Fox Sports. He'll be talking A-League and everything that's happening there. Melbourne Victory not going so well there, so maybe he might have an insight there. Emma Mackey, the Hawthorne VFL captain, and their trial day this Saturday. Paul Zappa, the co-founder of Club Respect, and that's an important um, aspect of, of sporting clubs' culture and sometimes very often missed. We've got Piero Zizzi, the founder of the West Bromwich Albion Proud Baggies, an LGBTI supporters group. You're listening to The Bench. I'm, I'm Joy. Joy. Coming up next, Adam Peacock. The A-League season is up and running. We might be able to now put away the Usain Bolt headlines and focus on what's happening on the pitch. And to tell us exactly what is happening in is Fox Sports presenter Adam Peacock. Welcome to the bench. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Now, Adam, I have a segment on this show called The Bolt Report in which I follow Usain <laughs> Bolt with great interest and excitement, watching him do nothing but chase money. Uh, oh, what, that's harsh. What are your thoughts on the whole saga? Um, you, can, you can go and ask him yourself at the... I'd stay tomorrow. I dare say he'll be there. Anyway. <laughs> Unfortunately, in Gosford, training to become a professional footballer. Uh, I'm not sad about it. I'm just a little disappointed that it didn't work out because I would have loved to it have ha- happened. But um, a lot more work had to be put in from Usain from a um, from a footballing aspect. He wasn't up to it at the moment to go and play. And without patience, he walked. Uh, didn't get the offer that he wanted. The Mariners weren't in a position to offer huge money at the moment because the sponsors weren't there. The sponsors needed to be convinced this guy was actually going to play. And as much as you can, there's not stupid money flowing through the Australian football industry. And you, you can't throw millions of dollars at a guy who's possibly just going to get five minutes off the bench if he's very lucky. Um, and that's with four or five more months work. So it was a, a split that was almost inevitable from about a month ago, I think. And uh, it's unfortunate the way it's worked out, but the way it goes and wish him all the best and wish the Mariners all the best because they're going to need all the luck they can get at the moment. <laughs> they definitely do. Uh, more drama on the weekend as well. We've got to touch on the uh, what they're calling the non-handshake. So victory coach Kevin Musket and Jets coach Ernie Merrick didn't shake hands post-game on the weekend. What the hell is happening there with these two and don't you just love the drama that they bring? Yeah, it is big drama. It is big drama. It's soap opera. It's as good a soap opera as the A-League's thrown up, I reckon. Um, these two, it's... Uh, uh, it all stems from 2010 when uh, Ernie Merrick, who was the coach then, um, was no longer the coach. And I think he thought that Kevin Moskett had something to do with the fact that he was no, soon no longer the coach of Melbourne Victory back then. So, if you know what I mean. Um, and uh, grudge has been held and the feeling is, I think, very much mutual. Now, usually in an A-League game or a football game, it's the prerogative of the home team coach to go over to the, the away team coach before the game and shake hands. It's, it's, he instigates the shake. But there was no shake because Ernie didn't want to shake. 
and he doesn't want to shake with Kevin ever. Oh. So he didn't go over there. And then after, well, you know what? I'm not going to shake your hand after the game, even though we won. I'm going to go and shake my players' hands and shake it. The, the opposition players' hand was left standing around. He was ready for the shake that never came. Kevin didn't want to shake now. So, yeah, uh, it makes it interesting for the next time they play because these teams play each other three times a year. So we've got two more two more times of this um, to look forward to. I like it. It's like keeping up with the Cardochians. <laughs> that, that was good. Okay, that was Come all right. On. Not your greatest. Come anyway. on. Adam liked it. Now, Adam, we probably should talk about what's happening on field. The season's up and running. We're a few weeks in. Um, hasn't been the greatest start for the reigning champions, Melbourne Victory. What do you what do you put that down to? It's a tight comp. It's a really, really tight comp. So there's no there's no givens. I mean, Melbourne Victory they get Central Coast this weekend, and, and the way I was there on, on in Gosford on Sunday afternoon, Central Coast looked like a rabble in the first thirty minutes. So they'll need to turn it around. So Melbourne Victory get a a really good opportunity to to get a second win in a row, but this, this competition is, is even as I can remember it in A League history. Now it's only been going fourteen years, uh, but it's a it's a really compressed talent pool that all the teams have collected this season. So um, yeah, there's, there's going to be upsets. There's going to be teams going to get beat that you don't expect to get beat, and that's good for the competition in my regard. That's why they have a salary cap. Now I don't know if there's going to be a salary cap forever in the A League, but this year. It's here, and um, I think it's it's worked a little bit because we're going to have a, a, a feral run to the wire at the end of the season. I think it's going to go right to the wire as well. Now, Victory, you've somehow been able to be very impressive impressive in the off-season, uh, regardless of the uh, solo cap bringing in Japanese star Kazuki, Honda, uh, and uh, Ola, Ola Toivonen. <laughs> I try to do that Ola every Toivonen. afternoon. Who, boy, yeah. How have they gone so far? I know Toivonen is uh, expected to debut potentially this week. Yeah, Tyvonen hopefully had a um, he had a bit of a knock. He picked that up just before the start of the season, so they wanted to get that right. They don't want to stuff it out. Look, if, if he's not back this weekend, there's an international break after that, so there's no A League the weekend after because the soccer is playing two matches. He'll be right for two weeks' time, so we're going to see him soon, which is which is good news for Melbourne Victory. And they've got to take care of him because in January this year, um, the FFA decided to play a stack of games through January. I think to take advantage of school holidays and the like, uh, everyone in holiday mode. So the, the teams play like that six matches during January. So there's a heavy, heavy load coming and you don't want to go into that period under staff. So they want to get him right for that. Um, KSK Honda's been outstanding. Great start. Very professional. He, he's the professionalism of the guy. He, he plays, he does his own kind of his own thing fitness-wise. So they played, um, they played on Saturday night. They had a Sunday recovery on Monday with like a player's day off. Casey was down at um, down at the the Melbourne Victory Training Park down there next to Amy Park, and um, he did about a, a five five uh, k run or something like that just to just to keep ticking over. So he he looks after himself ever so well, and you can pitch. He's great to watch, and um, yeah, it's great having him here. Now you mentioned it's a few games into the season; it's pretty tight already. But who are the teams that are that you're looking for, and who's really impressed you? Uh, Perth. Perth have been really good. Uh, I've got a new coach this season, Tony Popovich, and they've, they've been they've, they've got off an unbeaten start. They play in Adelaide on Sunday afternoon. So Perth, they've been the perennial underachievers. They're, they're like the people that you think are the, the team that you think are going to do something each year because they've, they've got a great base over there. It's very hard to go over there and, and play them because it's so far away. They don't have to travel away, but if they get that away form okay at home, they generally pick up a lot of points. They've never really had a crack at it in the A-League, um, but this season 
looks a little different for them. Sydney will be there about as well, and Melbourne Victory will get the hang of it. Aside from that, it's really, really even. Adelaide are good. You can make your case for just about every team to, to make the final. So, as I said before, it's, it's going to go all the way, I think. And uh, Craig Goodwin's uh, starting to come in some great form for Adelaide. Uh, is he good enough to take Adelaide to the pointy end of the season? Yes, yes, he is. Yeah, if if he's surrounded by a bit of quality. Now, Adelaide don't have luxury of what a, a Sydney FC or Melbourne victory have in terms of, of depth. Uh, Perth certainly have depth as well. Adelaide, if they lose one or two of their top guns, like Craig Goodwin, for instance, he could be missing for all the January. He could be playing in the Asian Cup for the Socceroos. So they're going to miss him big style. Um, but, yeah, if, if they get maybe... I reckon they're one player off Adelaide. Um, but Craig Goodwin, he almost won the cup final by himself last week. So he's certainly good enough. And I'd be amazed if he's not in the Socceroos team. Um, but for the upcoming matches against Korea and Lebanon, that squad's named tomorrow yeah. um, by Graham Arnold, the national team coach. So, yeah, I've Sorry, uh, so I've been a big fan of Craig Goodwin's Socceroos career, but just hasn't been able to get uh, continuous starts. Do you think this is his time now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially with Daniel Arvani, the, the young player. He, he did his knee last week in, in Scotland. So um, with, with him out, that's his kind of position, Craig Goodwin. It's a, it's a big opportunity. I'd be amazed if he doesn't get selected tomorrow. We're talking A-League with Fox Sports presenter Adam Peacock here on the bench. Now, Adam, the A-League chief, Gregor Rourke, came out today and said that the expansion of the competition might be delayed a season. Um, what's the latest on that and what do you think's the likelihood of, of when we're going to expand? Yeah, this is all very boring, unfortunately. This is all to do with board <laughs> and governance and that garbage. Um, so it's there's a new board coming in um, to the FFA and I think the elections are November 19, if I'm not mistaken. So... The, the management of the FFA have done all this work to collate all the bids, work out who's who, uh, work out the weef and the chaff and all that, and sort it through it. And they've got a recommendation that they take to the board. Now, the board that's in there at the moment, well, they're, they're two weeks away from being disbanded. So they don't want to make a decision. So then the new board has to come in, and then they have to make a presentation. Then they have to make a case. Then the, the board, new board wants to see all the bids. So it's just ticking over time, time, time. Gregor will put a, a limit of January on it, that they have to make a decision. So I, I think the prudent thing would be to do to delay it another season. Now, that's going to annoy a lot of people in Australian football, but it, the good thing is that the wheels are in motion finally and it's going to happen. Now, that the big things for new teams coming in, I think, is the fact that they need a stadium to play in. They need a geographical identity. They're the two crucial things. So um, on that basis, I reckon we're going to get a new team in Melbourne. I wouldn't be surprised if there's there's Canberra and Sydney might be a hope as well. I'd like to see South Melbourne. I'd really like to see South Melbourne return to the A-League. Are they any chance or are they going to stick away from that, that tradition or that history of the National I'll, Soccer League? I reckon they're up against it a little bit at the moment. Um, unfortunately, I'm with you. I'd, I'd love to see like a, a team with historic and historic connection to um, Australian football past, which has been horribly handled um, in in the modern times by the authorities, i.e. the FFA. Um, and I think they made a big, grave mistake 14 years ago when they set up the A-League that they, they went too nuclear, if you like, yeah. in terms of resetting Australian football. But... It's hard to mend those bridges, and I just get the feeling, though, that um, they're behind the eight ball down there in Melbourne. There's, there's some big money involved in the others. We've got these stories floating about that they're, they're, they're having a, a few cash flow problems, that they owe their ex-coach some money, they owe their players some money. Um, it's, it's not a good look at this time. It's, it's horribly timed. But hopefully 
teams like South Melbourne, um, teams like Avondale and Bentley, and those those teams that perform so well, and talking the Melbourne team, teams like this all around the country. Hopefully, there's a, an opportunity for them when they set up a second division. Now that's all down to money as well, and all down to the, the governance and the structure of the board and how they want to play it. Um, but one day, my ideal situation in 10, 20 years time for Australian football is that we have a first division and A League of 14 or 16 teams. And then below that, we have a 14-team second division. We have promotion and relegation. And we all play at the same time. Maybe it's through winter, maybe it's through summer. I'm not sure. But then we can all get on the same page and call us a proper football nation in that regard. That'd be great to see. And maybe a second division might give an opportunity to our very own Usain Bolt, maybe. <laughs> um, before, before we let you go, um, we've got to keep, we've got to, we like to keep our guests on the record and, and ask them the hard-hitting questions. Who's going to win the A-League? Yeah. <laughs> uh, as I stand here in the car park waiting for my daughters to sit dancing, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, just to set the scene for you. Uh, I will say, I, I said Perth at the start of the season, I haven't seen anything to put that prediction in the bin yet. I'm not saying it won't end up in the bin, because usually that's where my predictions end up, <laughs> especially they did on Melbourne Cup Day. Oh, yeah, join the club. Um, yeah, exactly. So I think Perth just. Well, yeah, we'll, I'll stick with that. we'll pencil that into the official uh, records of the bench. <laughs> um, keep up the good work, Adam. We're loving Fox Sports coverage of the A-League and it sounds like we're in for another hectic and enjoyable season. Thanks so much for taking time out to chat to us here on the bench. No sweat. Have a good one, guys. Cheers. Thanks. That was Adam Peacock, Fox Sports presenter, joining us here on the bench to talk A-League. You're listening to The Bench on Joy with Beck and Dave. And on the line now, we have the captain of the Hawthorne VFLW team. Her name is Emma Mackey. Welcome to The Bench, Emma. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, Emma, last time we spoke to you on Joy, which was when I was on Chicks Talking Footy, uh, the Hawks were gearing up for their grand final appearance, which you went on to win. Um, Tell us about that game, what it was like when the siren went and, and the experience of being the VFLW Premiers. Oh, where, where to start with that one? It's, um, yeah, it's a hard feeling to explain, actually. I guess when you hear the siren go, it's an overwhelming feeling and very surreal. And I think you don't really... I, it doesn't sink into a few days after. So, you know, a whole week of celebrating, um, you get to the end of it and you're still pinching yourself. So, no, it was an amazing game, amazing day. Um, I think everyone getting the opportunity to run out onto a Marvel Stadium. Um, you know, we're all really excited for that and, yeah, to be playing in the grand final. So to come away and win it and to be premiership, uh, premiership players, and, yeah, it was amazing. And uh, Emma, am I right that you got to experience the Hawthorne premiership tradition of going to Jeff Kennett's man cave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Jeff... Um, uh, I just uh, had a little bet at the start of the year, and he said if we if we won the premiership, that he'd invite us back. And yeah, we um, we we held him to it, so he invited us back to his man cave. And yeah, was, that was a pretty awesome experience as well. <laughs> Not something you do every day, I wouldn't have thought. No, no, no. It was very cool, though. Very cool. Now, after that premiership, three of your teammates, Michaela Can, Jade Van Dyke, and Emerson Woods, were taken in the AFL draft, which was just fantastic. Um, what yeah. do you think that says about the Hawks Club and and your team's performance over the year? Oh yeah, it was, it was amazing to see those three girls get picked up by an AFL women's team, and I think that just shows you know how much um, you know work 
the Hawthorne Football Club um, has put into the program that they've created, um, you know, from last year, but mainly going into this year under the Hawthorne banner, but, you know, foremost is Paddy Hill and, and the coaching from him and, and then all of the, the staff and the support that he gets around um, around that as well. Uh, I think it just shows that what we're doing is, um, is right and uh, developing the girls that came across from last year and um, some of these younger girls that come across from the tap cut uh, and, and getting them onto um, an AFL women's list is all about what Hawthorne has been. So um, something's working. And how do you think it will feel going into the next VFLW season with the pressure of being the reigning premiers? Yeah, um, I think it'll be different again going in next year. It'll be interesting to see, you know, even what happens after the AFL women's season this year and what the landscape will look like um, next year for the VFL women's season. I think I think the VFL league is just growing and um, getting stronger and stronger. And, um, you know, as far as what list we'll have next year will be interesting. So I think we'll have to... Uh, probably, you know, bring the bring the team together again from the start of the season and probably almost start again, I guess. So it's kind of trying not to write too much on what we've done this season and and hopefully, um, you know, recreating again next year. It's a and tough the, one, though, I think. Yeah. And the building the list starts this Saturday. The uh, the Hawks are showing uh, having a VFLW Talent Identification Day. Um, what they sort are. of what sort yeah. of players are you looking for? And is our very own Beck any chance to make the list? Yes. If <laughs> if you're looking for a five foot four, thirty yeah. seven year old uncoordinated woman, <laughs> I am in. And that's being generous, Definitely Emma. Not. That's being generous. <laughs> We're looking for anybody, you know, anybody that wants to come and play football, um, that everybody is, is invited and welcome. So if you want to come along, um, definitely I would not say no. But, um, yeah, I think any – I think the, the program that we've done even, you know, for over the past couple of years, we've been a really big um, community-based, um, focused um, team. So we're really wanting to just get our girls from all corners just coming across. And if it's girls from other – leagues or um, sports, you know, we've got definitely a few girls on the list this year, including myself, that came across from other sports. So um, pretty much anybody that wants to give football a go. We are talking with Emma Mackey, the Hawthorne VFLW captain. Now, Emma, my in my head, what Talent Identification Day insists of <laughs> is like an obstacle course. So I feel like they have to wash your car, then they have to make Paddy Hill a coffee, <laughs> then they have to like yeah. sweep Jeff Kennett's man cave yeah. or something. Or something like Ninja Warrior maybe. Am I at all close to what Talent Identification <laughs> Day involves? You're a little way off. <laughs> I mean, unless it's changed since I went there two years ago, might have after the premiership. So, um, no, I mean, and it probably has changed a little bit from when I did it, but two years ago when I, I can still remember putting my application in and um, going to Waverley, we did the talent ID day at Waverley, and um, it's pretty similar, I think, to, you know, some of the um, tests that you'll see the um, girls do at the draft combine so you'll be doing agility tests and um you know the beat tests and, and running and um you know kicking and a, a range of different kind of skills that they'll just be watching you across the whole day and you know probably areas that they think you can develop in or areas that you might be showing strengths in but you know you might be really strong on the fitness side but might need development um you know maybe in the skills side but they'll, they'll look at both and you won't need to be the best at everything. I think if you're just showing promise in, in some areas that, you know, that's good enough as well and something that they can work with. So, yeah. 
Well, I'll make sure I'll make sure Beck's got her boots on and yeah. socks up high, and uh, we'll wish her all oh, the best. The boots uh, for people like Beck, who uh, what should people do if they want to come along? Um, well, I think there's been the application process online. Definitely have a look on the Hawthorne um, women's page, but um, you, you can apply through there. But it's basically turn up, um, have your runners, have your boots, uh, and pretty much put your best foot forward. So um, all the information is on the Hawthorne um, website. So if they want to find out more info, they can go there. Absolutely. Well, look, Emma. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck. Good luck. Oh, good, good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Got to be uh, good luck on finding some new teammates in uh, in the uh, crew on Saturday. Perhaps me. Who knows? Maybe I could be a Hawks yeah. VFLW Premiership player next year. Um, but look, best never know. best of luck heading into next year. It's an exciting time for women's footy. Thanks, guys. No worries. Bye. Rebecca Dell, you star. That could be that, the uh, the line of the commentators next year. Oh, uh, will be, not might be, will be. Anyways, you're listening to The Bench on Joy. Culture within sporting environments is integral to building a strong community hub for all. Club Respect has been created to help sports clubs across our country build and maintain a deep culture of respect. To tell us more, we are joined by Paul Zappa, Director of Nerida and co-founder of Club Respect. Welcome to the bench, Paul. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Beck. How are you? We are good and we're happy to have you here, Paul. We like having people come and visit us. It doesn't happen very often. So yeah, it's nice to be in here. We're on our best behaviour. There's a lot to say about us, Beck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what it is. Um, Paul, firstly, tell us what is Club Respect and how did it all come together? Yeah, Club Respect is, is trying to support clubs to be the best uh, side of clubs they can be to promote a, um, a resp- respectful relationships in their clubs and to... Um, allow the opportunity for clubs to um, mentor, model, influence the behaviour of young people particularly. Um, we know that clubs can be the most wonderful place for me to learn um, how to behave in the community. They can also be places where I might learn some things that aren't appropriate um, and we're trying to help clubs support them to be the best they can be. And where did the need come from? Was it the was it, was it research that... Was yeah, showing that lots of research. We, we work in the violence prevention field and we know that um, family violence and, and violence against minority groups is really prevalent in our community. And sporting clubs provide opportunity for us to educate and educate a broader community. We do a lot of work in schools and suddenly when we looked at sporting clubs, we, we get a much broader uh, reach in the community. We get mums and dads, we get, we get the children and we get messages that can go from schools and into sporting clubs. And I think the thing is, one thing we know about Australia is that sports are a real vehicle for social change, whether that be good and mostly good, but, you know, it can show the bad side as well. I think in this country, sport's on such a pedestal that there's a real importance for clubs to have an understanding of, of what they should be doing. Yeah, this is this is great both for sporting clubs and for sport to take that initiative and say, look, we have an opportunity here, as you said, to be a social change maker, um, an opportunity to be a movement where, look, there's the opportunity here that if you could use a sporting club to squeeze out any opportunity for violence to occur, and imagine my son or daughter going to that sporting club and they model what they see. Mm. And then we're looking at a, like a generational change here that, that eventually it becomes a situation where anyone who's yelling, screaming, abusing, people say, are you okay? You know, yeah. that, we don't do that here. Mm. And then that becomes your new culture. Um, and, we, and we can see that being something that can go across all codes. This is something that we, we if it's badminton, tennis, hockey, you've all got your coaches, you've all got a community that... that live and work and play in your club and in all our experience so far we've trialled five years of this um, in uh, NRL Victoria so NRL clubs some people see them as quite a tough Mm. um, uh, sport they are full of normal human beings 
wanting to support their club to be the best they can. There's little under sixes running around and mums and dads and everyone being the best they can be for that community. And through that club, those clubs, what we saw happen was as we trained up uh, multiple clubs, those clubs got to enjoy playing against each other. They knew to anticipate what behaviours were accepted or not accepted, not just in their own club, but when they played against each other. Mm. They quite enjoyed knowing that that club has been through the same process as us. So for a club that reaches out to club respect, what do they expect in return? What does the services of club respect sure, look like? Sure, um, at, Quite at the moment, you can go to clubrespect.org and read what we've been putting as an online framework for clubs. Everything's starting from your big picture mission statement into your values and how you could put your values into action right the way down to if you are seeing someone who's abusive on the sidelines what might you do in a safe and respectful way to deal with that um and all the the parts in between if you like so um education for coaches for how to be a, a great model, role model coach education for parents for how to support my my person whether my young child whether a, a sports star or whether they're performing just for enjoyment um and each person has a a part on that website they can go and see how they can be the best part of that for the community um then over the next six months we're going to continue trialing with with different um codes and in 2019 we hope to launch an outreach phase where we're hoping that there will be an opportunity for clubs to come together at a forum and the forum might be about coaching and modeling respect as a coach um and our piece there will will be largely around communication language and behavior and when you talk about respect paul is it i mean obviously you know we're we're very interested in the lgbti perspective but is it cultural and what sort of when we say respect what do you mean by that Uh, that's a great question so respect is is actually and sometimes in sport respect can be be gone the other way to violence you you need to do what i say you know to earn my respect so we're looking at behaviors that are safe kind fair supportive behaviours um, that if you're um, doing any negative behaviours like yelling and screaming, you, you can't be respectful at the same time. So we're looking at um, even things around how the whole culture works. For, so after the game and, and you look around for someone else to clean up after you, well, that's not a respectful behaviour. Mm. So it's starting to celebrate opportunities for people to help others out um, and actually practice being respectful. So it's a great question because respect is sometimes hard to define. Um, so, yeah, we, we've kind of gone towards those three words of being safe, being kind and being fair. Now, I'm thinking a lot of grassroots sporting clubs probably don't get the moment or even get a chance to talk about culture. Like, I've, yeah. I've been involved with committees and yeah. I don't think we've ever openly talked about our own culture. Yeah. Is that common across most clubs or, or is, it, is people just time poor? Or well, You've just nailed it, yeah. The, the, the time poor part. Uh, we've had the opportunity to go and, and interview lots of clubs and, and people want their club to be the best it can be. When you can get people's support to help them go through their values and their mission um, – we see those communities thrive you've really hit on the issue it's been time poor so club respect has been developed with tools and strategies that are already in place that you can easily adopt we've also done a lot of filming so in an ideal world what we hope is you go online and there's a a coach or a president who looks and sounds a little bit like you and they Mm -hmm. they say here's the three things we came up with go for it you should try this and eventually it becomes like a, a collective or a movement where we all share our best practice and I don't know if you're like me, but I'd rather watch the YouTube video than read the manual, you know. Yeah. So I th- we're trying to go for that time-poor person who goes, I could do those three things. And I think the other thing too is a, a lot of community and grassroots clubs are run by volunteers. Hmm. And they think, you know, I'm already kind of doing my bit 
yeah. cutting up these oranges or whatever it might be yeah. or umpiring, yeah. that this maybe doesn't enter their psyche? Oh, absolutely. I think there's so much to do in the game. You know, you've particularly if you look at junior sport or being mm. a team manager or something, the fact that you've managed to get all those players there and they've got their, their jumpers and, and mouth guards, you know, you think I've done a good job here. What we're trying to do is, is just sharpen up each of the roles. So imagine if me as a coach, you know, I'm thinking about how I move the cones around and I call the plays. I haven't stopped to think about that I'm actually a role model. Mm-hmm. I haven't stopped to think about my language, my body language. Now, that doesn't take a lot of time. It actually just takes a moment of reflection of going, oh, what am I modelling here? And then the education piece comes in where we say, you know your language sometimes, you know, a common one is, you know, you throw like a girl and, and yeah. it's a pejorative um, uh, use of language. Some people are still in that mode, oh, look, it doesn't really matter. They're only words. They don't. And, and mm-hmm. so what this piece is to educate you, oh, actually that does make a difference. And you being a role model, yes, winning's fantastic. And the fact that you, you teach the, the young person how to become a better athlete, but also you teach them to become a better person and that's where we really want to hook in. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking that good culture is something that needs to be managed sort of on a day-to-day basis, but how does a club with good culture suddenly have a poor culture? Like what are the things that are not addressed? Yeah, it's a really good question. It, sometimes culture sits, and particularly in small clubs, sits with so few people that if you if you turn over a, a really highly effective president and but the and that all rests in that president and you haven't laid down all, all the mission and the values and the part I'm really interested in is, is how you turn your values into action so it's one thing to say we have all these values um, putting them into action so they become part of your culture a really good culture should be able to survive that change um, you need to be able to say what our culture is um, and and be very steadfast that this is you know, in good clubs we work in, they say this is what our club stands for. That's we don't stand for that, and they and they stand pretty firm to it. Um, and then they, we've even got clubs who look at the the future and say, well, I'm going to be moving out as a president committee member soon. Let's bring in the new people now and let's start looking at, at some culture uh, um, uh, maintenance as we as we leave this place and leave it in a better place than we found it. Yeah, we're talking to Paul Zapper, co-founder of Club Respect. Um, Paul is club. Respect for all sports clubs and organisations. Like if I'm running my local Tiddlywinks organisation, yep, or absolutely, you know. um, we we want all codes, all clubs, and no matter what, which clubs we, we went to to have a look at, there's people present in, and it's an organisation based people, and, and as you mentioned earlier, lots of volunteers. So they all share this um, and they share um, the same issues. They share the yelling coach or the yelling parent. They, they share the abuse of the referees. It doesn't matter what code we go to. So universally, if I put a, a group of people in a room from all different codes, they're going to say, we would love some help with that thing mm. about mm. yelling at the referee. And what, wouldn't it be wonderful if, if that started spread? So let's let's make a community. Let's say Melbourne CBD and we and all the inner city. We, we all got together, and that just became the norm for what happened in that space in that area. Um, the capacity of that to to get some momentum is really powerful. And uh, just lastly, what has been some of the feedback from the clubs that have engaged with uh, Club Respect? Yeah. I'll share a very quick story with you. The NRL Victoria have a program called Spirit of League Award. We've worked with um, a number of clubs, and this year all the clubs we worked with were in the line for being winning that award. On the award night, that, there was more energy in the room for who won the Spirit of League Award than there was for all the personal best and fairest and those sorts of things. And what those clubs said to us, you just made it easier for us. You just helped us to get the things we couldn't get to. And really importantly, you put it in really plain speak, we understood it and we were able to action it. And the feedback from parents and coaches has been one that we think our clubs are a better club for it.
Uh, very insightful chat. We're running out of time. It's very, very interesting. So love to have you on again, maybe. Um, thank you for coming on. And for people wanting for more information, what's the website? Yeah, sure. Clubrespect.org. If you go to clubrespect.org and have a read of what we're doing, there's also contacts in there. We'd love to hear from clubs. We're, we're really looking for some foundation clubs who'd like to get on board and, and be part of this movement. So if they want to reach out to us through those contacts, that'd be fantastic. That was Paul Zappa, Director of Nerida and co-founder of Club Respect. You're listening to The Bench on Joy. We have many LGBTI supporter groups here in Australia that are kicking some great goals, and so are the Proud Baggies, which is a supporters group for all LGBTI fans and their families, friends and allies overseas in UK for the football team West Brom. And we're joined on the line here by their founder and chair, Piero Sizzi. Welcome to the bench. Hi, uh, good evening. Now, uh, tell us, how did the, uh, the Proud Baggies come together? We, um, we, it, was, it was born uh, last year, so September 2017. We officially launched at the club um, as part of the club's inaugural uh, diversity, uh, diversity Day, uh, where they celebrate the diversity at the club. Um, so, yeah, we launched uh, in September, but it was, it was about a year in the making. Um, so I come, from a, I come from a sports background anyway, so I'm director of a sports marketing company. So... I kind of saw firsthand the kind of struggles in the sports industry and um, the kind of um, homophobia that exists in football and sports. Um, so I thought I was quite uh, you know, well placed to to spearhead this and bring it forward. As West Brom and Jalbian didn't have this LGBT visibility at the club, um, so just so so our aim has been to, to increase the LGBT visibility at the club um, and to try and stamp out all forms of homophobia and to celebrate the diversity uh, at the club. Having just uh, celebrated the first anniversary of the Proud Baggies, what have been some of your biggest achievements throughout those 12 months? Um, we've, got, we've got many success stories from the last year. We've, we've, we've recently just been nominated for two national awards, uh, which is obviously a very, very proud moment for us. We've been nominated for the Best Club and Supporter Group Relationship at the Football Business Awards um, here in the UK. And we've also been uh, nominated for the Sons for Diversity Award, uh, which is run by the Football Supporters Federation. And across the year, we've had um, many personal achievements. I think one that stands out, we have um, we, we have loads of success stories from individual members. So one that sticks out for me, we have um, an elderly guy who, who's actually inspired our new 1968 club. Um, he um, he is a full time he was a full time carer for his mother, so he couldn't get along to many games or to many social events. Um, but just having the online network that we have, the WhatsApp group, and just having that support network of fellow LGBT supporters, he said that that was such, you know, such a um, such a big support and help for him, um, and kind of gave him that respite that he needed. Um, so to have that support network and to, to hear that back from our own members, um, to know that you know there's like-minded supporters that can help him out, and you know, he doesn't feel like he has to suffer alone, um, is a is definitely a, a big. Um, it's definitely a big uh, moment for us. And also, um, for the beginning of this season, the, the club um, permanently put our flag into the stadium. So that raised our visibility hugely at the club. So now every match day, you'll see the pro baggage flag um, in the east stand at the Hawthorns, which gets TV coverage, which gets 25,000 people seeing it every week. Um, so that sends out a really positive message to show that West Orange Albion are um, inclusive and a welcoming environment for all. That's re- that's really really good to hear. Now you, you mentioned the uh, the nineteen sixty eight club. Can you tell us more about mm-hmm. that initiative? 
Yeah, sure. So it was, as, as I said, it was inspired um, initially by one of our members because um, we saw that we had some over 50 members that maybe were socially isolated and felt, uh, felt lonely and kind of removed from not only the LGBT plus community, but also from the footballing community. Uh, so maybe they've stayed away from football matches because of the homophobia or because of the kind of macho environment that exists in you know, football stadiums. Um, sorry, soccer stadiums, I should say. Um, so um, they, they felt that, so we felt that um, if we can help um, bring back that, that generation of supporters and kind of tackle the social isolation and the loneliness in LGBT um, people over the age of 50, um, then that would be a real positive for them. Um, so we, we were lucky to, to be given a grant by a local organisation here in, uh, in Birmingham uh, called Aging Better in Birmingham. So we can now provide um, free tickets, uh, free travel and refreshments to any LGBT plus people over the age of 50 and get them along to our pre-match meetups, get them um, mingling and, and, and speaking with like-minded fans and having that support network. Um, so yeah, it's uh, we launched last week and we've all, already got lots of interest from uh, lots of uh, people that want to get involved in what we're doing, so that's great. That's a fabulous story, Piero. That was—I feel like I'm going to cry. That—that's—it's so special <laughs> to hear those stories of of people who obviously yep. love the sport feeling comfortable to come yep. back to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's—it's it's when we hear it, when we hear these stories, and we hear the, the feedback from the members and how much it's impacted them. Um, I think it really um, hits home that you know what we're doing is is, is a is a great thing, and it's you know it's our own fellow supporters. Uh, feeling welcome and included uh, at our club, and it's, it's it's massive kudos to the club as well for being so uh, to being so open and so inclusive as a, as a football club. What's your personal motivation to make the proud baggies what it is, and and to be so involved with with the club? Sorry, sorry again, sorry. What's your personal motivation to to you know put in the work to make the proud baggies what it is? Yeah, I think I think because I. I've worked in the I work in the sports industry, so I I came out to my family and friends when I was 18, um, but I wasn't able to come out in in the sports industry until I was 25. So it took me seven years to come out in the sports industry because it's a very macho environment and it's you know there are there, are, there is some homophobia in the industry and it's kind of a taboo subject. So you, you don't there aren't many out. Um, LGBT professionals, and there's, there's certainly no LGBT uh, professional footballers, male footballers in England, um, in the UK. So I think um, for me, I kind of saw the struggles, and the, the um, I just wanted to kind of be a role model for, for younger LGBT people, and to try and show that you, you can make it success of your career and be LGBT uh, in, in football and in the sports industry. And, and I know West Norwich Albion have a proud history of diversity. Um, so back in the 70s, we were the first club to have three black players play for us, which were known as the Three Degrees. So the club has a, a huge history of breaking down barriers and being an inclusive, diverse club. Um, so we just wanted to continue that and, uh, and you know, celebrate the diversity at, at our football club. I was about to ask, how's the involvement, what sort of level of involvement has, the, has come from the club? But by the sounds of it, it's been actually quite uh, forward and proactive from the, like, the management and board of West Brom. Yeah, absolutely. So we have direct contact with the board and we're regularly meeting with them and discussing ways we can uh, campaigning and ways we can increase the visibility at the club. So the club have been, from, from day one, we literally, you know, they're saying, what can we do to help you? So the club have been brilliant and they've uh, really helped push us forward. 
And I think uh, pr- proof of that will be on the 3rd of December. Uh, so we have a campaign here in the UK run by Stonewall, uh, the LGBT organize- a charitable organisation, um, which is Rainbow Laces. Um, so we're going to have um, our match on the 3rd of December, which is going to be live on TV on Sky. And that's going to be our Rainbow Laces fixture. So the club is literally going to rainbowize the whole stadium. We're going to have players wearing our Playbangers T-shirts. We're going to be wearing rainbow captain's armbands, uh, rainbow laces, rainbow corner flags. Um, so we've got loads of things going on, and that's just that's going to be you know shown to, to the whole country how you know how LGBT inclusive West Bromwich Albion are. That sounds fantastic. Now, speaking from a, a general point of view, what has been some of the key findings of homophobia in football in the UK? I think it's 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 definitely changing for the better. We now have um, in the UK we now have forty three LGBT plus supporters groups. Um, so, and I, I was listening to to Paul uh, from Club Respect and how he was saying about having to change the culture. And we, similarly here in the UK, we, we want to change the culture in the stands. So, if you do hear a homophobic remark or you do hear a racist, sexist remark, then people are calling it out in the stands. Um, so we have. Um, an organisation called Kick It Out, so you can report um, any anti-discrimination on their app or via their website or their text line. Um, so we're hoping to try and turn the culture so that um, any homophobia is called out um, by supporters and you know, people turn you know. I think we've got to a level now in the UK where if any racism is heard in the stadium, then people will react. Um, whereas homophobia, we've still got some work to do. I think I think there's some blurred lines in what's homophobic and what's not. Um, so we've still got some way to come. But I think you know, with consistent signage and consistent uh, messaging out there to say that our club does not um, does not accept any form to discriminate uh, discrimination, I think we're we're definitely on the right path. We're chatting to Piero Zizi, the founder of LGBT Plus supporter group Proud Baggies for the West Brom Albion Football Club. Um, Piero, one of the things we've seen in Australia is with the um, pride groups around our AFL clubs. They've joined together as the AFL Pride Collective and really worked together to try and um, put on events and, and lobby and those sorts of things. You mentioned there's some yep. other groups in the UK. Do you have that sort of connection with those other groups as well? Yeah, we do. So. As I said, there's now 43, um, which has grown exponentially over the last few years. So four years ago, there was three or four founding groups. Um, so now the, the ride has been huge. And there's, uh, there's an organisation which I used to sit on the committee of uh, called Pride in Football, which is a coalition, it's the alliance of LGBT plus supporters groups. So within that, we all um, we all meet up for, for games and we discuss best practice and we have like online chats where we can... Uh, discuss what we're doing in our each other's clubs. And so this, this weekend, uh, West North Albion, we play against Leeds United. And they, similar to us, they started last year and they've got a big, um, they've got a very big LGBT plus following and they've been very successful in the last year also. So we're going to meet before the game uh, in our fan zone and then after the game, we're going to have a social in Birmingham and go out for a few drinks. So to have that kind of connection with all the supporters and no matter what club, no matter what the rivalry is or what kind of club you come from or whereabout in the UK you come from, we can all come together as a collective because we're all, um, we're all pushing uh, for LGBT inclusion in our football clubs. That's really fantastic to hear. Before we let you go, West Brom are just currently sitting just outside the playoffs uh, positions at the mm-hmm. moment. Are they a chance to do what they do so often is uh, relegated and get promoted straight again? Um, we're hoping so. We think it's... Uh, 
it's a bit of a transition period at the moment because we have our new manager um, and lots of new players. Um, we're struggling in defence at the moment and conceding a few too many goals. Um, but I, um, I'm backing them to, to definitely make the playoffs um, or hopefully automatically that'd be great. Well, look, best of club to the club and to the Proud Baggies. That was Piero, co-founder of the Proud Baggies, the West Brom Albion LGBTI supporter group. Thanks for joining us on the bench on Joy. Now, Beck, let's talk about it. What have you learnt from today tonight's episode? Well, I've learnt that potentially I'm going to play in the VFLW next year, which I'm really excited about. I think Emma Mackey spoke quite highly of you. I think they're looking for that sort of in and under midfielder, just to you know get behind, get under the ruckman's toes and just really work their magic, dish the ball out to the runners. And I think I, I I'm going to be there on Saturday to watch you uh, run up and down the lines. What I heard from her was, "Wow, I'm feeling really threatened as the captain of the yeah. Premiership side, yeah. and one of the she was one of the biggest vote getters in their really close BNF." Mm. I think she was a bit threatened. Yeah, yeah. You're like the ScoMo to her Malcolm Turnbull, you know, I just am. lurking around in the shadows, ready to take what's basically yours. And I think you're going to be a great VFLW slash AFLW player. Watch your back, Mackie. Watch your back. Oh. That's all I'm saying. In a way, in a way, Dave, that club respect would appreciate. I'm going yeah. to do it in a respectful manner. Of course, of course. And, uh, you know, you're still a bit of a rookie, a bit of a novice to the game of the round ball, the soccer slash football, whatever you want to call it. And we had Adam Peacock come in uh, from Fox Sports to let us know what's happening in the A-League. Do you have a team? Have you, have you jumped on a team? Are you jumping on your local Adelaide team with Craig Goodwin's form? Or Well, I do. I mean, being an Adelaide girl at heart, I do generally go for the Adelaide team. And you got me very excited that they were good. So I reckon, Dave, our next excursion needs to be to an A-League team. Oh. Well, we've got... We've got WNBL, we've got to go to. W League. W League. A League. Oh, how are we going to get anything yeah, done? Yeah, I've been to an A League game. A League games are really good. Um, I don't want to talk down Melbourne City because I haven't been to a Melbourne City home game. I've been to a few Melbourne Victory home games and they can't put on a show. You know what? One thing I'll be doing, Dave, is buying the merchandise. That's for damn yeah, sure. You are big on the merch, aren't you? I basically have a whole space in my house for merch. I don't care what it is. I'll buy anyone's merch. There you go. Um, also, we had Paul Zappa, uh, our second guest ever on the bench to be live here in the studio. And we had a really great chat. I'm really big on uh, talking about culture because culture is obviously something that is missed quite often by sporting clubs. And I've been on committees. They are time poor. We are mostly volunteers. And you jump in from your full-time jobs and, oh, yeah, what's going on there? Is, uh, oh, is Gazza or Chooker, are they in the ones? Or And that seems There's to be... always a Chooker. Always a Chooker, always a Macca. And that seems to be the issues that are happening at clubs. But I've been involved with clubs when there's been some, you know, nasty incidents. And I think that really clubs are judged on how they react to those incidents. And sometimes committees are not equipped to make, to be make those, um, you know, that's why they need Club Respect, making it easy for them. Clubrespect.org is the solution for clubs. Beck, it's been an absolute delight again. Oh, thank you. My delightful, ravishing, enthusiastic, up and about co-host, as per usual. And you, Dave. <laughs> and playing Dave. That is numero... What's uh, five? Is that five in Italian? Yeah, I feel like see. I can learn that throughout the season. That is the bench for another week. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to you, Beck. First anniversary, Joy 949 will become Yes 94.9.
From Monday the 12th of November, tune in to hear our favourite moments from this momentous decision. It all leads up to the first anniversary of Marriage Equality on Thursday the 15th with a special day of joy favourites. Tom and Warren kick it off in breakfast. You're with Tom and Warren this Thursday morning for breakfast. From 12 to 4, Beck Dahl and Dave Beckett bring you the bench. I just simply cannot do it without the very lovely Beck Dahl. Welcome. I'm paying you a lot to say that, aren't I? Thank you, Dave. <laughs> and Dano and Mason drive you home. Who's already laughing at us? Because we're out. Join us as we celebrate a year of yes.